Get your business together. Get yourself into what you do and see it through. Being boss is hard. Blending work and life is messy. Making a dream job of your own isn't easy. But getting paid for it, becoming known for it, and finding purpose in it is so doable. If you do the work. Being Boss is a podcast for creative entrepreneurs brought to you by Emily Thompson and Kathleen Shannon. Hi, I'm Emily, and I own Indie Shopography, where I help passionate entrepreneurs establish and grow their business online by helping them build brands that attract and websites that sell. I help my clients launch their business so they can do more of what they love and make money doing it. And I'm Kathleen. I'm the co-owner of Braid Creative, where I specialize in branding and business visioning for creative entrepreneurs who want to blend who they are with what they do, narrow in on their core genius, and shape their content so they can position themselves as experts to attract more dream clients. And Being Boss is a podcast where we're talking shop, giving you a peek behind the scenes of what it takes to build a business, interviewing other working creatives, and figuring it out as we go right there with you. Check out our archives at lovebeingboss.com. Welcome to episode number 34. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. All right, guys, today we're talking to Whole30 founder and New York Times bestselling author, Melissa Hartwig. If you're not familiar with the Whole30, it is basically a 30-day program of paleo-style eating. Just go Google it if you're not familiar. Like, get out from under your rock and Google it. But Emily and I have both done a couple of Whole30s ourselves, and we can honestly say that it has changed our lives and probably even the way we run our business Um, Melissa has given hundreds, if not thousands of interviews on the whole 30, but we're going to do it a little bit different on being boss because we want to talk about kind of the behind the scenes look at what it means to build an empire like the whole 30, um, and whole nine as a creative entrepreneur. So you won't want to miss this episode. So in today's episode, we talked to Melissa a little bit about selling out and kind of like what to say yes to and what to say no to. And one of the things that she'll mention in today's episode is um, choosing not to advertise on her site. And it got me thinking about our partnership with FreshBooks, who is the Being Boss sponsor, and they've been sponsoring us since the beginning and allowing us to bring a lot of great content to you. And so I could talk all about the features of FreshBooks, but whenever it comes down to it, it's about tracking your income, tracking your expenses, invoicing like a boss, and getting paid. And and I just am so grateful for our relationship with FreshBooks in that um, we are able to be sponsored by a service that is so aligned with our own mission and is so helpful to the bosses listening to this show. More bosses listening to this show have signed up for FreshBooks and are actually using it. And so that makes us um, realize that it's, it's a perfect partnership. Mm-hmm. And not only that, FreshBooks is also going to be one of our huge sponsors for our New Orleans trip. So in one of those great things, like partnering with brands who get what you do and get your crowd um, is is huge. And for us, we found that in FreshBooks. Um, So they'll be super present in our New Orleans uh, vacation with all of our bosses. They're sponsoring our live podcast, Mm -hmm. which hopefully we need to figure that out, that technology. (laughs) Anyway, they're sponsoring our live podcast from New Orleans. They're also sponsoring our master class mm-hmm. for the bosses there and then they are sponsoring a cocktail hour meet and greet so we're super grateful and thankful to have fresh books on our side so try fresh books for free today I mean, we're talking about how awesome they are as a sponsor, but really whenever it comes to getting your finances in order, they are the cloud accounting provider for creative entrepreneurs, solopreneurs who offer a service. Just go to freshbooks.com slash being boss and select being boss in the how did you hear about us section. Melissa, hi. Hi. (laughs) Perfect. We're so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. This is a subject that I don't get to talk about as often as I would like to, so I'm really excited to kind of explore some of the subjects with you guys. 
And you know, it's funny because we have a list, Emily and I have talked about it before, but it's our Hot Shit 200. And it's it's basically 200 people that we really like and that would be great to come on the show and talk about being boss. And you've been on the list. And I've since been day so one. tempted <laughs> Since day one. And I've been so tempted to email you because I, and it was exactly the email that you sent me where I didn't want to talk about Whole30, even though, of course, that's going to come up. But I really wanted to talk about what your life is like as a boss of some of this empire that you've built. Um, because anytime you just come up a lot for me because you're writing about a lot of things, not just about food, you're writing about stress. And, um, I, I just feel, I get the sense that you're in it, right? Like you're in it just like everyone else. Oh my gosh. I'm so in it. And it's, I try really, really hard to convey that when I'm communicating, whether it's social media or doing seminars or just like, you know, explaining to people kind of what my life is like, I make a really fine point that I am in it. Like I'm not above it. I have the same issues, the same struggles, the same 24 hours, the same annoyances, the same, you know, stressors that you do. Um, and so I, yeah, I'm right in the middle of it, just like everyone else figuring it out, just like everyone else. Totally. So, um, I guess I should say that you have been a client of mine before I helped you with the first edition of it starts with food, um, which was super fun to work on. And one of the things that I know about you is that you are super hands on with everything you do. Is that a really nice way of saying you're a total control freak? (laughs) Yes, that's exactly it. The nicest way possible. In the nicest way possible. So one of like my first questions that I'm super curious about is, and, and I want to get into kind of the typical things that we talk about on being boss, like getting in the right mindset and establishing boundaries and all of that. But kind of the first thing I'm most curious about, my burning question, is how do you maintain creative control over a brand that is growing so big and so fast and so like wildly out of your control. Like you've just hit a million hashtags of whole 30 on Instagram and probably half of those are of like chocolate cake and pancakes and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, there are definitely, they're not all 100% whole 30 compliant as people on Instagram figured out that the whole 30 hashtag was clickable, searchable, and getting a lot of media buzz. They started using it for all kinds of stuff. And that's a prime example of something that you cannot control. And I would make myself absolutely bananas if I were to like police, try to police the internet for inappropriate uses of the word Whole30, the trademark, the logo. So, you know, I've had to, I've had to work really hard to figure out what is important in terms of maintaining the, a really strong identity with the brand in terms of maintaining our integrity, in terms of maintaining the way I want the community to present itself to the rest of the world and then understand that there's going to be a lot of stuff I can't control and and just honestly let that stuff go. And I've got a good team of people to help me with that. I've got an amazing trademark attorney and, you know, people that I consult with. But um, it's really like figuring out what's important in terms of maintaining the messaging that we want to maintain. And then the rest of it, you have to understand that as people take it and make it their own and kind of run with it, they're going to take it in directions that you wouldn't necessarily approve of or agree with, but if you want it to spread, that is a risk that you have to take. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's, um, I've heard stories of people talking about like hashtags in general are one of those things that you you can't own a hashtag. Like you can create a hashtag and you can run with it. You can promote it and do it, but you can't own it. And, um, I don't know. I really like that. (laughs) Maybe a bit of a control freak, but obviously totally understanding the necessity of letting things to go that you just can't control. Um, hashtags are one of those, but business is full of things like that. Yeah, it really is. And you know, you, you always walk this line between, do I want to maintain full control, but then I am literally the rate limiting factor in terms of how much this message is going to get spread and shared and grown and developed. Or do I want to just say, like, here you go, free market, like, you guys take it up, you know, take it, run with it, do whatever you want, and then I I really feel like the brand would get totally watered down. Um, to- it'd be like a game of telephone, where by the time it gets to the third or fourth or fifth party user, the brand identity and integrity is dissolved. So I walk, I try to walk that line between, you know, letting the community take it and run with it, because this is like the best form of crowdsourcing ever. 
they do things with the Whole30 and ask for things and develop resources and take it in directions that I wouldn't have thought of, but that are totally awesome for the brand and the community, while at the same time, you know, being really proactive about um, protecting our trademark, what's one thing that we are really aggressive about, making sure that people are using it in an appropriate way, that they're not trying to like build their brand on the backs of our hard work and on the backs of our community. So with some things, I take a pretty aggressive approach. And then with others, I'm like, let's see what you're going to do with this. Like whatever, eat your pancakes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't, <laughs> I'm not going to come to your house and like knock the pancake out of your hand, right? So there, are some, it, it comes to a point where you have to understand that like I'm, I'm, we're at a level now where I'm not going to be able to see and control everything and that's going to have to be okay. All right. So let's rewind a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about just your entrepreneurial journey because I mean, did you ever imagine that you were going to be where you're at now? Oh my gosh, no. Does anybody? I don't know. Maybe some people who are like super duper ambitious um, and always want to own their own business could imagine something like this, but I never wanted to. I never wanted to own my own business. <laughs> and look at you now. So how did it begin? Like, tell us, what's the story? So I have a background in business. I actually was in operations for 10 years. I worked for a large insurance company. I was the youngest um, manager at my level. I ran three teams in three different offices. At one point, I had like 28 people reporting to me. So I came from a business background, operations management, business analysis, project management. I took things that didn't work well and I made them work really well. And my passion was always health and fitness and nutrition and I always did that on the side. And we kind of came into the market at the right time. We had the support of some really influential people like Rob Wolf, um, who really took me under his wing and um, kind of did some promotion for the nutrition consulting I was doing and I was really tight with the CrossFit community and it was a little bit right place, right time, a little bit of, I gave so much stuff away for free, um, which is, I think, a necessity when you're building a business. And we had built momentum. So I was sort of, you know, working this nine to five job and traveling almost every weekend, doing seminars to promote the nutrition stuff and the healthy lifestyle stuff. And at some point you realize that you either have to make the leap and see if you can make it work or both, basically both of my jobs were going to kind of just flounder and die. So, um, we decided to kind of make the leap and take Whole Mind full-time back in 2009. And that's kind of how all this started. And so do you, do you find that once you took the leap, did it immediately take off? It really did. It really, really took off. So again, we had built so much momentum. I had given so much away for free on my earlier personal blog, which was called Urban Gets Diesel, where I was talking about CrossFit and health and nutrition and kind of in a, in a far sassier way than I think I do now. And that's code for like, I swore a lot and I kind of just let it fly, but it resonated. Um, but I think because I had built that foundation and because I feel like I had a really good ear to the ground in terms of what the community was looking for and asking for based on what I was reading on my blog, I think we were able to come in and just sort of like roll with it. There was also a giant opening at that time Rob Wolf was talking a lot about paleo nutrition, and he was just so, such like the godfather, him and, and Mark Sisson, in terms of introducing this concept to the rest of the world. But there was a huge opening where people had heard about it and wanted to know more about it, and Rob's just one guy, and Mark Sisson was just one guy. And I think they really wanted people, someone, to step in and like be this translator between all the sciencey stuff that Rob was talking about and the really hands-on practical application that I think we do so well. And we just kind of stepped in and filled that niche, and it took off really fast. Oh, so I love that two, like, huge things are really coming up. And one of those is, like, the power of community <laughs> in a grand way, but also how you started it by giving away things for free, which is something that Kathleen and I talk about a ton. Whenever, you know, whenever you are just starting out or just sort of, like, testing the waters of what you want to do, so much can come from giving away things and building a community from that so that whenever it is time to, like, buckle down and do whatever it is that you are trying to do, things can come so much more easily if you are, like, putting yourself out there and um, and engaging an audience and giving them things of value, Um you know, if that allowed you to really hit the ground running in a way that most people can only dream of, it's just sort of proof that that for work 
that you do before you do the work <laughs> is just as important, if not more important in a lot of ways. It really is. And I think people look at, you look at a successful business or a successful entrepreneur or something like the Whole30 and they think like, okay, well, they've got a book and they've got this and they've got that. But what you don't see is like the back breaking stuff that's done in the years before everybody knew who we were. It's the like working a nine to five job and coming home every single night and spending two or three hours on a blog post that I was going to post for free and maintain for free and just give that away. And like driving down to Virginia for the weekend to do a seminar for which we weren't being paid just to like get the name out there and connect with people. And you have to give a lot of stuff away for free. It's how you earn trust within the community. It's how you build a reputation. It's how you figure out what works and what doesn't work. And then I'm a firm believer in the more successful you get, the more opportunity you have to continue to give stuff away for free. I think that model, I'm a really big fan of that model and we've embraced it in the whole 30, um, that, you know, the more means I have, the more capacity I have to give stuff away and do stuff for the community in exchange. Oh, it's so true. I love that so much. And that's been one of my philosophies whenever it comes to even this podcast. Like it's this podcast has kind of killed my coaching career because I'm like, just listen <laughs> to the podcast. You don't you don't need to pay me thousands of dollars to coach you if you'll just listen to being boss. And so it's a really great thing. But I'm I'm actually curious then about that a little bit, if you don't mind talking a little bit about business model. Like, so whenever you first started your blogging, I mean, the whole 30 right now, you can go online and find it. Like it's a real program and it's free. It's easy to look up the rules and it's easy to follow. And there's forums dedicated to people helping each other as far as what, um, what you can and can't do for lack of better words. Um, so my question is like, whenever you're on the weekends doing these seminars and writing blog posts, at what point did you start making money and how did you ask people, were you doing one-on-one -on -one coaching or training? How did that work? Yeah, we started off, um, we really started off the bulk of our revenue was coming from the seminars we were doing. So, you know, when Dallas Hartwig, my business partner and I, when we quit our jobs and decided to take this thing full time, we spent three months on the road, literally traveling nonstop, doing seminars from point to point and earning, you know, earning our revenue that way. Um, and, and it was great. We were able to pay our bills and we were able to kind of support like the website and not some of our other expenses. And then we took a week off in British Columbia to visit his family and realized that if we weren't doing seminars, we weren't making money. And that was a huge eye-opening experience. Like the idea of passive income had that was like a totally foreign concept. Um, we were doing some one-on-one -on -one consulting. We were traveling to do these seminars and we realized that like we obviously needed some other form of making money because we were, again, the rate limiting factor. We're two people. There are only four weekends in a month. And, you know, even if we were to travel every single weekend, we were still limiting ourselves in terms of who we can reach and how much we can kind of share this message. So that's when we started thinking about the idea of writing a book. Um, the book really came from this idea of we want to share this message with so many more people. We want to talk to as many people as we possibly can. If we put all of our really good kind of nutrition information in one place and got it out there, that would be a really great way for us to, you know, both spread the message, but also to be able to start talking about other stuff because we talk about a lot more than just nutrition. So that was kind of the idea behind the book. It's so true. I keep, I'm kind of a health and fitness fan. I like reading that stuff for fun. And I read It Starts With Food. I, I want to say it was after I even designed it. Like I hadn't even read it. I designed it. Then I read it. And I, I remember at one point admitting to you that I was a vegetarian. I was like, I can tell you something. Like it's a dirty secret. You're like, it's I have dirty to talk secret. to you, Alyssa. We have to talk. <laughs> but after reading the book twice, I'm fully converted. I'm eating meat. I um, am feeling really good. And anytime I'm not feeling good, I always come back to it starts with food because the, and, and I've read a lot of books since then. I'm like, this is exactly what Melissa and Dallas were saying, except they said it a little better and with a little bit more science behind it. So you guys, if you haven't read, it starts with food. It really is amazing. You have to read it. Um, okay. So you, you write the book. Didn't you guys go to, um, 
Mexico for a couple of weeks and like just hammer out the book. Yep, six weeks in Mexico, uh, where I basically like hold up in a cabana in front of the beach and just like wrote my butt off. So much butt and chair. That time. sounds horrible. Yeah, oh, it's terrible. Horrible. It was so well, it was, you know, Dallas would come back from surfing and I would be like, seriously, I got like two more chapters to go. I can't go right now. But it was, it, you have to get out of for something like this where it's just, it's so intensive and the book was so research heavy and there was so much like science behind it. You really have to get, I had to get out of my current environment to write. Like, I couldn't be distracted with, like, dishes and laundry and, you know, a friend wanting to, like, grab dinner. Like, I really had to change my whole environment and focus just on this one project. All right, so you launched the book, and it has become a wild success. Um, Have you... Okay, so this is kind of a question I had, and it's probably not very appropriate, but having a million (laughs) hashtags, like Whole30, like, is it as financially lucrative as it seems from the outside? You know what I mean? Or do you still, like, feel like you're still hustling? Um, No, I mean, really, our primary source of income at this point is the book, or the books, and the books have done really, really well. So we feel super comfortable in terms of, like, our bills are paid. We're able to enjoy the quality of life that we want. We have some money to invest into additional projects and resources for the program, which is what we want to do. So at this point, you know, Dallas, even more so than me, his philosophy has always been like, you work so that we can enjoy the quality of life that we want to enjoy. And so it's never been, and it's not about at this point, like, can I make you know, can I make a million dollars? Can I make $10 million? Can we like build this massive empire? In fact, our business model is like the complete opposite of trying to turn this into like this giant empire. It's really about, am I doing what I need to do so that I have enough to have the quality of life I want to have? Do I have enough that I can continue to give back to the community? Do I have enough that I can, you know, bring good people on board and kind of reward them and make sure they have the quality of life that they want and that we're basically sticking with the integrity of the brand. Like those are the things that are really important. And as long as we're making enough money to do that, I'm super happy. Amen. Oh, I think I I think that is huge. I feel like so many people from the outside can see what entrepreneurs, like especially online entrepreneurs, because so much of what we do is out there that, you know, they see us and think, or not even us, you, <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> uh, but they, they see all the things that we put out and think that we are just like killing and like have money just falling out of our butts in some ways. Like, and that is not the case. Like we all build these, these businesses that support lifestyles. And I feel like that's like really even the mindset shift that is like most important in terms of wanting to be an entrepreneur or really just wanting to live a lifestyle that you choose is that the goal is not to make a million or 10 million unless you want a lifestyle that is supported by a million dollars. Um, but it is, it's about creating enough to make yourself happy and the people around you comfortable so that you can continue making the impact that you're making, not so much ruling the world. Yeah, exactly. And for me too, it's really important. Like I make enough money that I don't have to have advertising on the Whole30 website. And when I tell my business coaches that we don't have advertising and I tell them what reach we have in terms of how many unique visitors we get on the website, every single businessman I've talked to is like, literally wanted to punch me in the face. Like, what what do you mean you don't have advertising? Do you have any idea the kind of revenue that you could generate with advertising? And I'm like, I do, and I don't want it. It doesn't suit, it doesn't fit the business purpose. It doesn't fit the model. It's not the experience I want the user to have. And if at some point I needed that, right, if I needed it to support the business and my quality of life, I would do it. And we would do it in a way that maintained the integrity of the program as much as possible. But right now I make enough money that I don't have to do that. And I'm so good with that. Like, I want to be able to say no to these opportunities that may be really lucrative, but that aren't in line with what we want to present in terms of the program and the community with, to the world. Right. So like you don't want to dilute your brand with someone else's brand. Right. Right. And you don't need to. And what you're doing there at the same time is really building trust um, by keeping it just whole 30, like no one ever has to question your motives. I hope that that's what we're doing. I hope that that's what comes across. You know, we recently turned down some partnership opportunities with really big brands, the kind of brand that if you had asked me two years ago, Hey, if you were approached by this company, would you partner? I would have like done a happy dance and sold my soul because it was, (laughs) the idea was so exciting, but 
I'm, we're in a different place now. We're in a different place and it feels, you know, while there are amazing opportunities and it would be, it would look really impressive maybe to like an investor or a media outlet. It's not what our community wants. They've made that loud and clear and it's not what I want for them. So it's easy to say no to those things if, well, it's easy to say no if you've got that integrity of the brand in mind. It's also easier to say no if you're making enough money to be able to say no to it. And I'm fortunate enough that we are. So I'll like, I'll cop to that, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I have a question about boundaries and what you say yes and no to. So let's maybe circle back around to this because first I want to talk about a little bit about being in the right mindset. There is a post that you wrote probably even more than your book that I come back to time and time again, and I send it to almost every single one of my friends and it is the stress addiction post. So you have two, two parts on this post and I send it to everyone and we'll be sure to include it in the show notes. It's basically calling out stress addicts on their addiction. And so for example, my thing was, um, my thing was like going to the gym and hitting it hard. And then I would feel so good afterwards. And after I read your post, I was like, Oh, that was like taking a shot of heroin versus relieving the stress. Like I was actually just feeding it. Um, so I, I, that stands out huge as far as like getting in the right mindset, but I'm curious for you. Um, well, one, are you still addicted to stress? Um, and if so, like, how do you manage stress and how do you get in your right mindset to be a total boss? Yeah. Um, so I feel like I went through a really typical curve of any entrepreneur where you start off running your own business, you completely lose yourself to the idea of running the business and you become completely focused on nothing but the business. And it's like, it's the, it's the Instagram posts that like make me bananas. It's the like, I'm hustling 24 seven. I'm working while you're sleeping. I never take a vacation. And if I do, I've got my laptop. Like I definitely fell victim to that feeling like I had to work harder than anybody else in order to be successful. And my personality is such, you know, I'm a recovering addict. I'm super black or white on or off. Like I'm either doing it or I'm not. And I'm very type A and super perfectionist and really hands-on and kind of a control freak. So all of those swirled into a perfect storm of major stress addiction for a couple years where I was overworked and undernourished and overtrained and um, I had all of the kind of hallmark symptoms of stress addiction. And finally, you know, Dallas helped me a lot kind of identify some of my behaviors and how it was having a negative impact and my health was kind of starting to decline and I didn't really have the right mindset to be able to give back to other people. And it got to a point where I was like, okay, I need to do something about it. So five years ago, I gave up caffeine completely. I've been caffeine free ever since I got on a really strict protocol of like sleeping, making sure I was sleeping nine hours a night. I stopped doing the high intensity training I was doing and I did only yoga for six months. Like there was, I basically did a major overhaul of every single area of my life. I instituted a couple rules around work where it was like, I don't get up and work at all until I've, you know, done some healthy movement. Um, all of these things, it took probably about six months or so for me to break out of that stress addiction cycle. And I'm nowhere near that at this point. I would definitely not consider myself a stress addict anymore. I feel like I have a great balance based on all of the lifestyle interventions that I've done, but also I've done so much therapy. You guys, I do so much that I do like all the therapy, any, any <laughs> method, any modality, traditional psychotherapy. I do a lot of Byron Katie's The Work. I've consulted with like a tarot card reader. I've done, you know, group sessions. I've done personal development retreats. Like all the therapy helped so much me figure out in conjunction with the lifestyle things I were doing to help me physiologically, how to manage the stress and like deal with it in a really healthy way. So I feel like I'm in like, it's a hundred, it's a 180 degree turnaround from where I was a couple years ago. Therapy. I like it. So I'm actually going to an energy doctor on Friday. Oh yeah. I've done that too. And it was, awesome. <sighs> and it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I have a energy woman that I work with who's here in Salt Lake City. Yes. And it's very cool. I love hearing that because like I, I actually find, and I don't know if you have ever had this, but there's like this cycle of almost like self-help addiction. 
like as of like probably a couple months ago, I I want to say I even maybe said it on the podcast. Like I'm done with self help. I'm sick of reading about how to live my life, and I'm just gonna live my life. So I'm gonna read some nice fiction novels. I'm going to <laughs> instead of like. Um, doing this like training program that's going to get me big muscles. I'm actually going to go use my muscles and go climb a wall or get on a paddle board, you know? And so, but, but it is kind of cyclical. And so I'm going to an energy doctor on Friday because I need help. (laughs) I think that makes, I think every, I think any self-help initiative, whether it's nutrition or exercise or like psychotherapy, I think it does go through cycles where you learn and you learn and you learn. And then at one point I woke up and I was like, I don't need to go to therapy today because like the last three times something's come up, I just handled it. So I think that's wonderful. And then I think something will probably happen in the next couple of months and I'll go, okay, I'm going to go back and kind of work through this again. But yeah, I think that's a great way to approach it. Um, what about habits and routines? So you talked about waking up in the morning and doing some healthy movement that you cut out caffeine. What other habits and routines do you have in place as a boss to kind of help maintain a solid work-life balance? I put that in air quotes. Um, but it sounds like you actually have kind of achieved a balance that for a lot of us feels like a myth. Yeah. I, I, I think I talk about it less in terms of balance, like everything is going to be 50-50. I'm going to be just as good a mom as I am an entrepreneur, as I am a friend. Like that idea of trying to make sure that everything's all like fair and equal, I think is total BS. I feel like if you are reaching for that, you're never going to find an equilibrium. What I try to do instead is just be present in the moment. So when I'm with my son, I'm with my son. And I'm not with my son and also like with one hand answering an email or like checking my phone. I, or at least I will cop to. I try not to do that very often, right? Like when I'm with him, I'm with him. When I'm at work, I'm at work. And like if I decide that I need a break from work, I physically remove myself from my workspace and will go downstairs and because I have a home office and I'll make some food or I'll like, you know, play around on social media for a little while. But I try to just sort of have, I work best if my things are very compartmentalized. So I can't have like, I can't work out in the same space that I also do, you know, do work and do interviews in the same space where I hang out with my kids. So it works best for me if I go somewhere else to do the gym or my workout and then I come home and then I go to my office to do my work. I can't work from the dining room table and then I, you know, I'm done and then I go out of the office and hang out with my kid kind of in our living area. Um, That's what works best for me. And I think it's less important for you to try to emulate what I do and more important for you to figure out what habits or routines or structure in terms of everything from when you work best to how much routine to include in your life to, you know, whether you want things to blend or you want things to be kind of separate, like figuring out what works best for you is going to be the way for you to achieve that air quote balance better than trying to emulate what your favorite entrepreneur or, you know, social media, um, crush is doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. Emily, do you have any questions? I don't. That was fantastic. (laughs) That's, and that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs, like a lot of the like super bosses that we interview talk about is super bosses. Can we make that, that a thing? (laughs) Hashtag Super super bosses. Yeah. No, it's, um, it is a big thing to, um, to focus. I think that's really sort of the key there is like, find the one thing you're doing in that moment and focus on it. Um, that's something that Shalene talked about whenever we interviewed her. Um, Paul Jarvis does the same thing. He'll have sections in his business where he's just doing design and then he'll create a course or whatever. Like it's about focusing on the thing that you're doing at that moment and doing it the best way possible. So super boss wisdom right there. It opened up two questions for me. Okay. One, you were talking about, um, like going to your office and you do the work there. What, what are you doing these days? Like what is a day in the life like for you? Well, um, up until like a month ago, it was all the Whole30 book. You know, the Whole30 came out April 21st and like basically for the month before that and then all the way up through, I just got back last week from Toronto doing more media. It was basically like book signings, appearances, media interviews, all that kind of stuff. Now that I'm back in my office, we're focusing on a couple projects. We're going to be rolling out some new resources for Whole30 Whole 30 years um, by the end of the year. Two things that have been in the pro- in the works for a while, but we just haven't had kind of the resources and manpower to roll them up that we're super excited about. So I can't spill any details yet, but there are going to be two things that 
um, that I think are going to be really instrumental in helping to get Whole30 years kind of more information that they're looking for, but also get out there and be able to share the message in their own communities. Um, I'm on email. Like, I have someone who kind of screens through my email, but I'm still doing a lot of email myself, connecting with Whole30 approved partners, talking about special projects. Um, I still connect. I'm super active personally on all of our social media feeds. Like, I personally go into Whole30 and Whole30 recipes and Facebook and Twitter, and I'm on there, like, connecting with people, answering questions, you know, just giving a, like, good job or way to go. That's really, really something that's important to me and something that I always want to be able to have time to maintain is just connecting directly with our community. I'm writing. So, you know, I write an original blog post for Whole30.com at least once a week, if not more frequently. I put a lot of effort into my personal Instagram feed, too, talking about Whole30 and lifestyle stuff and, you know, issues common to women or entrepreneurs or um, I have, like, a Melissa Rants hashtag that, that is kind of one of my favorites <laughs> where I just, like, look at some of the stupid stuff I see on social media and kind of go off about it. But there, I, there are a lot of things I want to talk about that aren't. 30 related. So, well, speaking of social media, this is kind of a question too. And I'm wondering, um, like, okay, so you have over 40,000 followers on your Instagram and that's growing. And with the, with the attention and all the eyes on you now, like, has that changed you at all? Has it changed how, how you share? Has it changed your boundaries for what you're writing about or what you're posting? Um, no, if anything else, it's only solidified those boundaries. So, you know, I decided a really long time ago that I share things that are, I call them personal, but not personal. So I will talk to you about what I had for lunch or the awesome meeting I had or that I'm in San Diego visiting my sister. But like a lot of times I won't, I won't write about stuff real time. So you don't have kind of that like access to what's going on in my life. Like in this very moment, my family, my kids, my relationships are off limits, 100% all the time and they always will be like that stuff is private and I feel like it's really important to kind of keep that for myself um I I'm starting to talk a little bit more about some of my own personal experiences with everything from like addiction and rehabilitation to um some of the struggles I have with like things like body image but again it's it's I'm happy to share that kind of stuff but I'm not going to put a post up at like, you know, two in the morning on a Saturday night talking about how I'm like so unhappy with some aspect of my life or something like that. So I definitely set boundaries. And for the most part, I'm really impressed with how respectful people have been of those boundaries. Every once in a while, someone will ask a question that's, you know, just pushing a little too far into my personal life. And I'll either just sort of not respond or respond in a kind way. But most people are really respectful of the fact that like you try to put yourself out there um, I put myself out there in a way that I hope comes across as authentic because I'm trying to do so very authentically. But at the same time, there are aspects of my personal life that are just, they're going to stay personal and they have to. And that's just, that's a boundary that I have to set. So like, but whenever people are commenting on like your bangs or the size of your arms, you know, I mean, I see this stuff happening because I follow you and I definitely consider you like a friend and I'm sure a lot of people consider you a friend, which is part of that accessibility. But like, do you, are you ever just like, oh, um, every once in a while, like I'll put this whole big, like I'll put a lot of effort into this Instagram post where I'm talking about like my feelings and this and that. And somebody will be like, I really love your watch. Where did you get it? And I'm like, really? Did you like, <laughs> did you read what I wrote? But at the same time, I understand it has to do with, again, people, it's, it's the accessibility. It's the fact that like, you know, you can follow, like you can follow Beyonce on Instagram and ask her a question about her watch. And like, somebody might tell you where she bought it. So it's this weird it's this weird culture now where it seems like no aspect of anybody's life is or should be off limits. Um, I'm always really, it's always flattering when people say nice things about me. Um, but it's no more flattering than it is hurtful when people don't say nice things. Like again, thanks to all the therapy, your impression or like your, the way you think of me is none of my business. And it actually doesn't really say anything about me. So you can say that I'm gorgeous and I'm like, I'm so happy that that's how you're experiencing me. Or you can say, you look too skinny and really unhealthy. And I'll say like, wow, you know, I understand that that's how you're seeing me right now. Okay. I love that both affect you the same way though, which is that they don't affect you, that, that the compliments don't feed you just as much as the haters don't bring you down. It can't, it's, you can't have it one way or the other. You can't allow yourself to be inflated by the compliments and then not allow yourself to be crushed by the detractors. 
So it's one or the other, right? You either are living or dying by the opinions of others, which is no way to live, or you have a really solid sense of self-image where I'm pretty confident. Like I know I'm pretty confident in terms of like I judge, I've judged myself in terms of my level of attractiveness, how well I write, um, how well I communicate, like all of these things so that when somebody voices an opinion on me, it's like, that's your opinion and that's cool, but I'm pretty solid with where I am right now. Oh, that's good. Yeah, all the therapy, you guys. So much therapy. <laughs> High five to all those therapists and you for putting it all together. <laughs> well, I was gonna I was going to mention something that Brittany Brown once told me about. I feel like I bring her up every episode, but she once told me to share what is vulnerable but not what is intimate. And so for me, whenever it comes to establishing boundaries, it's drawing the line between what is vulnerable and what is intimate that makes me feel accessible and makes it feel like I'm sharing a lot of personal stuff. But like you, Melissa, like I've really, especially since having the baby, have had to really draw some lines, but I feel like I had to kind of learn it the hard way. Like I didn't draw those lines until after I had him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I've, I've definitely learned some of those lessons the hard way too, um, but some, again, with the baby, like Dallas and I really agreed from the very get go that this was how we wanted to live. And again, he's, he's been very on board with this kind of aspect too of, you know, I like the way Brene Brown put it. It's, it's much more descriptive than personal, but not personal. But, um, luckily we've both been on the same page with how we want to kind of present ourselves and put ourselves out there. And there is a difference between vulnerability and intimacy and I'm more than willing to be vulnerable with the people that I connect with because it makes me I'm hoping it makes me relatable I'm hoping it earns some trust I'm hoping that you know people can see that like you said I'm in it just like they are not above it by any means um, but at the same time I feel like it's the right thing to do to keep certain aspects of your life or your feelings to yourself you know with with just the people in your inner circle and I think that it, it's what helps give um, the people in your inner circle a piece of you that not everyone else gets as well. So it's kind of like that's your gift to them, too. Maybe. I I try really, really hard. Like, I will share things that are vulnerable if in that moment, in that space, I want to share. But I try really hard not to, like, craft messages for a specific, like, I don't craft messages for a specific purpose. Um, I don't respond to community requests by sharing something vulnerable. Like that's not how it, that's right. not how it works for me. And there have been one or two times where in a moment of, um, I'm going, you know, I'm kind of going through some stuff right now. I'm having a hard time dealing with this, or I just had a fight with somebody or something. And I put a social media post up in reaction to that and immediately taken it down. Like this is not the space in which I want to share. This is not. This social media feed is like not my outlet, my passive aggressive outlet for dealing with <laughs> issues in my life. And I'm actually, I've held to that pretty well because when I do put something like that out there, it immediately doesn't feel good. I immediately am like, oh, that like gives me I... that icky belly feeling. And I, that's my signal that like this was, this was too intimate or it was too reactionary and it's time to pull that down. And I always do. I think that, I think a key difference there, and this is something that I've been talking in my head about apparently, um, is the idea of using social media as a brand versus using it as a person. Because I feel like that's where you can draw a really clear line between what it is that you're okay with sharing like in general. And if you are going to use this to back up a brand, how that message can change or just go away altogether. And the idea of like, as a brand, um, and even as a personal brand, and that's, you know, largely the people that we chat to is the people who want to build brands around themselves. You can't <laughs> go like air your dirty laundry and vent on social media. And well, you can, but is that how you want to represent yourself? Well, <laughs> right. You can, but do you want to have that like showing up as the brand that you're building that's going to feed yourself and your family, that's going to take care of your employees and build a community of responsible people? Um, and I think that's, that's such 
a clear line that needs to be drawn. And I don't think it's a conversation that's had enough. I think people have, have gotten much better about it over the past couple of years. Um, but there is a clear difference between the types of things you share on your Facebook page if you don't have a brand that you're representing um, and what you're going to share on a Facebook page that is for your brand or where you're promoting a personal brand that you're building. Um, super clear difference. I think it also speaks to the kind of community and the kind of followers you want to bring on board. So if all I wanted were to get as many followers as possible, so it looked like I was really big and really important and totally a big deal, I would air all my dirty laundry. Oh my gosh, I have, there's so much dirty laundry right now to be aired and I would put it all out there and it would be inflammatory and it would be dramatic and people would, you know, follow and they would like eat that stuff up because um, of that morbid sense of curiosity and it would look like I was this really big, awesome deal. But that is not like the straw house of social media community that I want to build at all. So I'm really happy with, you know, again, going in and kind of being vulnerable and talking about some stuff that's happening, maybe not real time, certainly not sharing the intimate stuff and having a community where it's like, maybe I am missing out on some followers because I'm not doing some of the really sexy promotional whatever stuff that other people are doing you know I don't I won't talk about fashion I won't talk about makeup I won't talk about where I got my outfit and maybe if I did I'd be more popular but that's not the kind of followers I want to bring on board you know I even remember one time I mean this is probably years ago you you asked the question of your community you were like would it be helpful if I posted a photo of my six-pack like, because I think that, I think that this is actually whenever the paleo community was coming under some criticism of like, well, you guys all say that you're healthy, but like, show me, show me your six pack. And, um, anyway, it's just kind of interesting because you're in awesome shape, but not, you're not resorting to that, which is, I think is interesting and in that you've probably had to deliberately make these choices. Dallas and I have both done that. We have both together decided that this is not the avenue we want to take and we get approached a lot you know hey we want to do a photo shoot with you guys in like workout clothes so like Dallas is shirtless and Melissa's in like a jog bra and like that's just we a a just like no no do I really have to do you need to see my abdominals to know that like I'm healthy and happy and like mentally stable and in a really good place and self-confident no you do not two does it does it make me any more relatable I think in fact it makes me less relatable like you know, somebody would look at me and say, well, how is she going to possibly understand that I'm going through this food addiction issue and this whatever? Whereas if I post a picture of like my 15 year chip from, you know, being um, clean from my addiction, that says a whole lot more about my relatability and my experience and like how much I actually get what people in our community are going through. So you will basically what I'm trying to say is you will never see a picture of my abs. <laughs> And I love how the word abdominal is so much less sexy than ass. I know, right? I know. <laughs> because it's just one other muscle group. I know. Um, so actually, can we talk a little bit about how living um, a healthy lifestyle has helped support the growth of your business? Because I find for me, whenever I am getting enough sleep and whenever I am probably eating less inflammatory foods it helps me, especially with like a year of sleep deprivation with the baby, like doing everything I can to try and, which is another thing I bring up in every podcast. Sorry, you guys. Like it is my world. It has and made I'm a big it. impact on Catholic And it life. really has. So, but, but part of getting through that actually was employing a lot of the whole 30 techniques or the whole nine techniques of getting enough sleep of eating anti as anti-inflammatory as possible because the sugar cravings are real whenever you aren't sleeping um and uh limiting caffeine and doing things like understanding that as much as I want to go to a boxing class right now probably the thing that would be best for me is doing some restorative yoga Anyway, so can we just talk a little bit about how um, being healthy can help support you in growing your business and being a boss? Yeah, and this goes back to that, like, in the kind of sensationalized Instagram, social media, you know, rise and grind, hustle 24-7, I'm always working harder than you. Like, unless your focus is so intense, people think you're crazy, you're not going to be successful, I mean, that is just a recipe for, like, burnout. There are, there's so much wrong with that mentality. And I think to be a really successful entrepreneur, the first person you have to take care of is yourself. You know, if I'm not healthy and well-balanced and energetic and 
focused, how am I going to be any good to anybody else? And of course, we all have periods where we go through, you know, when I was getting ready to do final edits for the book, like I pulled a couple all-nighters. It was like all book all the time. Yes, I went through a period of that. It lasted like a week. It didn't last, you know, two years. Um, I am really fiercely protective of my own health and happiness. And I do that because it's the way that I'm able to give back to people through my company. If I'm not in a good place, I'm not a good, I'm not a good boss, I'm not a good um, mentor, I'm not a good mom, I'm not a good friend. So I'm fiercely protective of that to the point where I will, I always prioritize my own health above um, the goals that I'm setting and like the projects that I have going on for my business. So, you know, we talked about routines earlier, like one of my routines is I don't start working until 10 a.m. because I wake up at 7 with my child, I have an hour with him and like we play and hang out and do stuff and make breakfast together and then I go to the gym or go do a little hike or go do some kind of healthy movement and only after all of those things are done do I start work and that is how I take care of myself in that moment and that's something I've been doing for a few years um, and unless there's some kind of like crazy emergency or you know super critical issue that's the way my routine goes so I think it's really important to understand that not only do you need to take care of yourself because that's how you are like physically capable of giving back to your business and your organization but if your clients see you sending off email at two in the morning and you know feeling like you're kind of scattered or disorganized or putting this like image out there that you're like always working all the time, always on top of it. Frankly, I don't have a lot of confidence in somebody who's running their business like that. It makes me feel like you're just not a very good time manager and that you don't have your priorities straight. And chances are at some point that's going to trickle down to me and your work product for me as a client. So I don't think that's setting the right message for your clients, never mind for yourself and your own health and your business. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Is there anything else that um, you have been wanting to talk about whenever it comes to being boss or something that you've like a uh, Melissa rants, you know, about um, running business or something that you've just been wanting to share, but um, haven't had the platform for sharing that maybe you would want to share here. Basically, the, is there anything else that you want to say? Um, I think one of the things I'm thinking about and like, not struggling with, but really figuring out how to articulate and balance in my own life is this idea of how can I be a successful entrepreneur? How can I go after what I want? How can I be really firm in terms of my resolve? Um, and be and be somewhat selfish in that without taking it too far and basically being a giant biatch, if that if I can use that word on your podcast, right? right? Yeah, like, you, we have a little E next to our podcast. You absolutely may. So I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, it, in my old job, I worked for an insurance company, which was like such an old boys network. And I really feel like the role models I had in that company were like scrappy. You basically had to behave like a man in order to get ahead. And that actually suited me well. Um, empathy and emotion and like feelings are not necessarily my strong suit. So I actually went in and did pretty well with that. But in this business, I feel like I'm, I'm exploring right now this idea of, you know, saying no to opportunities that I just like don't want to do, or I don't think will serve me and how I can do that without feeling like I'm kind of stepping on other people's toes or being too cutthroat about it, saying yes to opportunities that may be selfish, but in my best interest, but are they in the best interest of my business long term? Like, I don't think I have any answers on this right now or anything yeah. that's going to be super helpful for your audience. But these are the things that I'm thinking about right now as I figure out how to take this business kind of moving forward a little bit more on my own than we have been. All right. But forgetting about the audience. They don't matter. I'm just kidding, guys. You guys matter. <laughs> but really, I mean, because part of this podcast is um, I, I want it to feel like they're able to kind of eavesdrop on a conversation. So keeping that in mind, I'm, I'm actually really curious, like, what are some examples of, you mentioned earlier saying no to some some of those brands that you would have sold your soul to a couple of years ago. Um, so you have said no, but like, can you get specific without giving away too much about kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, so like with the brands that approached us, um, with the brands it was more just a like 
a discussion, an internal discussion of is, do we want to go through so much promotion for this brand? Like, is this brand really accurately representing what we want to do for the Whole30? That's, that's actually an easier discussion because there I'm really only thinking about our Whole30 community, like what is right for them. The harder ones come where I have to balance like things that I want and I personally like with what's what my business wants, what my publisher wants, what my agent wants, like those kind of responsibilities. So, you know, a podcast, an opportunity to report record a podcast is a really good example. I turn down a lot of podcasts and I probably shouldn't. I probably should do all of them because it's 20 minutes and they would be pretty easy. But I turn down a lot because it's 20 minutes of my day. And if I am going to, I want, I want to come into every single interview with like tons of energy and and a lot of really interesting things to say. And if I wear myself out, I'm such an introvert. If I wear myself out in that aspect, doing these podcasts that like I personally am just not connected to in any way, I feel like I'm not going to have enough to give to people like you, which is something I really wanted to do. So that's one example of like, it's selfish, but is it selfish? Because maybe I'm not doing the brand a disservice if I make sure that everything I do, I'm doing to my full capacity. Like these are the questions I wrestle with, you know? You know, I was just coaching a client this morning, and um, I've actually really limited my coaching clients for this very reason that you're discussing, because I want to be able to come to each client with my full energy. And I, I find, especially with being a mom, I only have so much to give energetically these days. But um, so I was talking to her, and she's really struggling with wanting to share more of who she is. And um, I, I was talking to her this morning, and it... it Part of her struggle is kind of debating in her own head whether or not the work that she does is important. And because it's very easy for your inner critic to show up and be like, that is a first world problem. Or who do you think you are? You're not saving lives. Like it's easy for that inner critic to show up. And I asked her, so this is kind of going back to that Byron Katie work. Like who would you be without that thought? And what kind of service are you doing to other people whenever you're spending all of your energy debating whether or not this is worthy or rather than just doing the thing? Right. And so, um, and, and I find that in my coaching sessions, I get as much out of them as I hopefully give to them. And so I was like, wow, I need to think on that. <laughs> like how much mental energy am I spending? Like just going around and around versus just doing the thing. And, and I think, I think these are all questions that are, that are coming up from like our generation of business owners. Like all the people I talk to who have been in business or building brands, especially social ones online and have been for a couple of years are running into these same things. Like brands, big brands want to connect with small businesses like ours because we have reach. Like we have followers who listen to everything that we say and who want to get involved and be engaged. And Weighing all the options used to be this corporate thing. Like you had a guidebook for what you could say yes and no to. And you had a board of people who would all vote and then whoever went out got it. But these days, because we are building brands and businesses around ourselves that are having insane impacts on people's lives. You said a minute ago, like we're not saving lives, but Whole30 is probably saving lives <laughs> out there. Like there's a lot riding on, on the decisions that we make for these brands that we just like woke up one day and decided we want to, to like throw on Twitter and see what happened. Um, I think we're just like, we're rewriting the rule books on how to run businesses. Exactly. So I think that like the opportunity and advantage that we have as creative entrepreneurs, and especially this day and age, is we get to create whatever we want. Mm -hmm. So it's one, deciding what we want, being able to articulate what we want, and then asking for what we want, but then also this like decision-making process that happens in it. And so... Um, Right now I'm reading The Life-Changing Art of Tidying Up. Have you guys heard of the Marie Kondo? Have you read it yet? I have. Well, so she, so the whole 30 has been number two on the New York Times bestseller list right under her book for many, many weeks. And I basically like, <laughs> oh. it. I think it's a really good book, but I'm boycotting buying it for a little while. But I heard it's really, really good. <laughs> I know it's so it's terrible. Maybe like, we won't include that link in our show that's notes. That's funny. That is so funny. It's a very good book. I'm just being a baby. It's a really well, good book. No, no. But I've had some resistance to it because I'm like, I'm not tidying up. Forget you. Like, I don't need this. Like, I don't need one more thing. But 
I've given in. My sister started reading it and she's like, no, let me, she always gives me the cliff's notes on these things. And so I'm, I started reading it and what is coming out of it isn't just making my home tidy and beautiful, which is great. It's actually really helpful, but it's about getting ruthless about making decisions about what serves me now and kind of like even addressing something. So it, it really does feel like a metaphor, but saying, Hey, this shirt that I once loved has served its purpose and it has done its job, but it needs to go away now. And so I find that going through this book, I'm starting to think about like, how can I apply this to my email? Like my inbox is insane. And how can I apply the Marie Kondo method to my inbox and just get ruthless about what do I need to respond to and what can I just let go? Um, so read the book, Melissa. All right. <laughs> I'm going to check it out of the library, suckers. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, right. Yeah. Check it out from the library. <laughs> but honestly, what... So I just, to what you're both, I think to what you're both saying, the other point that I want to make is as an entrepreneur and as a boss, if I am not taking advantage of the fact that I am fully in control of exactly what it is I want to do, what is the point of being your own boss? So if I can't look at a podcast and say, this might be really good for my business, but I just don't want to do it. I'm not in the mood. I don't have the energy today. It's not my jam. The person who's running it is like not my favorite person. What good is it to be your own boss if you are unable or unwilling to make those decisions for yourself because you are fully in charge? You know, I see people who run their own companies and run their own businesses saying like, well, you know, things are going so well. It's going great. I would love to have lunch with you. I'm free in like two months. And I'm like, you know what? If you are running your own business and you can't take time whenever you damn well please to have lunch with a friend of yours, you are doing something wrong. Amen. That is, I have a coaching client. Well, an older coaching client. It sounds really horrible on me, but she, um, she actually recently like lost her period from being so stressed about her work. Um, that like she sent me an email one day. I was like, I think I'm pregnant. And I was like, Oh, that sucks. <laughs> we should talk Are you about talking this. about me right now? No, I'm not talking. <laughs> oh, we need to have, we need to chat. No. <laughs> no, but, um, so, I mean, like there are real, issues that come with with letting the idea of being an entrepreneur and especially under someone else's or like old rules um letting those things like eat you up and really just sort of disintegrate like the power that you have and the power that you've chosen to have but you still still just sort of let it go for the sake of like old agency rules or what you did at an old job or what some other person is doing with their brand. Like it is about you. It's building a brand based on, and not even a brand, it's building a presence. It's building a future for yourself and your followers based on, you know, what you want to do, what you want to accomplish. And like figuring that out is hard. Like it is so hard choosing, you know, if you're going to partner with another brand to do something, or if you're going to share, like, share anything. <laughs> Kathleen shared a, shared a fun vagina picture yesterday on our Being Boss Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to join the group and go check that out because it's fantastic. I think I'm going to have to. Um, <laughs> can, please tell me though, can you guys please tell me that you have read the book Rework? Yes. yes. That's my Bible. Great. It's, it's okay. my Bible. Me too. Great. So Rework, and I saw that you, so I've, I'm like your Instagram stalker, like, because I think that you post on Instagram about it recently, but um, like Rework and Daring Greatly, anytime anyone asks me what my book recommendations are, those two books are like my business Bibles. Um, and Rework okay, speaks to all of that. Rework speaks to the idea that like, just because this is the way that it's done with big corporations doesn't mean that you have to do this with your entrepreneurial business, which is, it's genius and brilliant. And I love it. Yeah, and it's so easy. Like uh, uh, it's written in like bite-sized, digestible little quips, but the, but it goes deep. Yeah, it really I, does. So okay, I have one um, before we go, like one kind of whole thirty-ish health question, because I am just a nut about that stuff. So it starts with food. Is your first book, um, and then I know you have books since then. But if it starts with food, like what is the next thing? Would you say, like, is it sleep? Because your business is whole nine. It's like these nine tenets of health. Like, what is the next one after food, would you say? So I really, the, the hierarchy that we kind of detail them, because there are nine factors, and some of them, as you get towards the end, are just sort of interchangeable. Like, they're all important. But our general hierarchy is 
uh, nutrition, sleep, and healthy movement in that order. So, you know, once people get their nutrition dialed in, and nutrition is first for a variety of reasons. One, because it's so absolutely critical to health and fitness, like health, fitness, quality of life, well-being, all of that. Two, because in a world where we can't always control a lot of the health things that we wish we could, like you can't always control sleep when you have a newborn baby, like you can't always control stress when you've got stuff going on with your job or in your life. You can always control the food that you put in your mouth. So it's one of the most powerful factors and it's the one that you have direct control over. And because food is so highly emotional for people, so much more emotional than things like exercise or meditation, getting control of your food and, and, I, and achieving like what we call food freedom is so empowering that it tends to spill over into every other area of life. So we start with food, but if you are going to focus on something next, we would definitely recommend you focusing on sleep. Um, because again, there's no area of your life that is not improved. Everything from willpower to disease prevention, uh, symptom management, healthy body composition, all of those things are so critically tied to good, healthy quality sleep. So are you guys going to write a book on sleep? Maybe someday. <laughs> We're talking about what a whole nine or nine factors book might look like at some point. I still think we've got, we need a little bit more time before we roll that out. I don't think we've got the audience for it just yet. People are still so enamored with the Whole30 and with the nutrition aspect of it. And I think we need to just kind of tie that end of it up and wrap that end and talk a little bit more about what to do after your Whole30 and kind of how to take your healthy habits into the real world. I think that's kind of a um, an area that I'm focusing on a little bit more on the website right now, but at some point I do want to start writing and talking more about some of our other nine factors and maybe how you can apply the whole 30 framework or some of the things you've learned in the whole 30 to some of these other health initiatives. Um, where can people connect with you and find you? Okay. So our, um, all of our social media profiles for whole 30 are just at whole 30. So it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and then I'm really active on my Instagram page. It's um, Melissa underscore Hartwig. So that's how you can find me on Insta. I'm pretty active there. I'm also um, just Melissa Hartwig, all one word, on Periscope. I've started to do some Periscope videos where I'm talking about a lot of these similar concepts. And do you like it? Do you like Periscope? I kind of love it. I kind of love it. I'm, I'm, um, I really like connecting with people by talking like this and it's a way for me to kind of give little like mini seminars without having to go anywhere and some of the topics people are requesting are like so fascinating so um yeah I really am loving Periscope right now so that's how you can connect with me too thank you so much for joining us on the podcast we're so grateful that you took not just 20 minutes but a full hour to chat with us about being boss and I know that our our bosses are going to get so much out of um, this conversation today. So thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I loved talking about some of these things with you. Hey bosses, I'm going to take a second to interrupt this episode to tell you that if you're liking being boss and you're ready to level up your game, we've got something just for you. Check out the being boss bundle. It's Kathleen's DIY coaching for creatives and my get your shit together series bundled together at one low price just for you bosses. You can find that at lovebeingboss.com slash bundle. If you like being boss, be sure to sign up for our newsletter at lovebeingboss.com where you'll get episode worksheets, secret content, and other goodies delivered straight to your inbox every week. Again, that's lovebeingboss.com. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.